I confess that when this crisis began, I'm not sure I'd even heard of Zoom. What's Zoom? Well, Zoom is the video conferencing app that is sweeping the world. It enables us to meet one another and see one another's expressions as we discuss things. Nearly all of our meetings now are Zoom meetings. Having had none in February, I seem to do almost nothing other than meet people through Zoom. It gives us an impression that we're still talking, that we can still see one another. But curiously, it also just reinforces that actually things are not normal. We can see one another and yet we cannot be in the same place. There are lots of other things that are a bit strange about Zoom. One is you can't read the room in the same way. When you're in a meeting all in a circle, you're aware not just of the person who's speaking, but you're aware of everyone else in the room and how they're responding through their body language. A couple of people, a couple of times recently, somebody's told me I've really missed reading the room. Haven't seen how other people are responding because I was focusing just on the person who was speaking at the time. It's also, of course, used for all kinds of social things these days, like quizzes and uh, music nights and uh, virtual DJing. It's used in lots and lots of ways. And yet it's not quite the same as being in the same room and meeting someone and realising how other people are reacting. We can miss so much. It's also got the odd amusing thing like we I was in a meeting the other night where someone had just made a really good point and then drew themselves up to make their second point and it froze it froze in that moment it first of all we thought it was just a dramatic pause before the really killer second point but no he drew himself up to the and everything stopped zoom is quite funny in some ways. There's also that really odd moment as you're disconnecting, both of you, where actually you're still sort of looking at one another, but you're sort of disconnecting at the same time. There are all kinds of weird things about Zoom. But one of the really difficult things is to be sufficiently attentive, not just to the person who's speaking, but to everyone who's listening. I realise I've missed that a couple of times. Why am I talking about Zoom? Well, partly it's because how we're all talking to one another at the moment. But also that question of attentiveness really came to mind when I reflected on this passage that we've just had read. Because I think it was something about the attentiveness of Jesus as he was praying that causes the disciples to ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. They can see something in his attentiveness to the Father that they want. Lord, please teach us to pray like you're praying. That's what they're asking. They want something of that attentiveness to the Father in their lives. It's really interesting that Jesus begins with just that word Father. It reminds us that prayer is an intimate thing, that the person we're coming to is one we can trust, trust with our most innermost thoughts, trust with our brokenness, trust with our hopes and our fears, trust with the angry, broken parts of who we are as well. Remember, in the middle of the prayer we have, forgive us as we forgive others. That central challenge to us to be gracious towards one another as Jesus is towards us. So it's a really intimate thing, prayer, that we're coming to someone that we really trust with everything we are and everything we hope and everything we fear. So it begins with that attentiveness to the Father and simply saying, Father, here I am. 
here I am, a totality of who I am, all of the good bits, all of the bad bits, all of the struggles, all of the hopes, all of the fears, here I am, Father. And the word is patir, in Greek it's Abba in Aramaic, it is that daddy word where we realise we are in the presence of someone much greater than us, and yet someone who is not just much greater than us, but is entirely on our side and longs for our flourishing. That's why we come to this place, as Paul says, in Jesus and through faith in him, we may approach God freely and confidently as a child comes to a parent they trust. So we begin with Father, but it's also hallowed be your name. Father in heaven, in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer. It's not just we come to someone who, who we love and trust and really longs for our flourishing, we also come to someone who actually has the whole of the earth, the whole of humanity in his hands. So Jesus says, if you want to pray like me, if you long to have a prayer life a little bit like mine, it begins with intimacy and it begins with reverence held together. The heart of prayer is realising to whom we're speaking, realising that actually he has the whole of humanity in his hands. The second thing we're to ask for, Jesus tells us, is for the Father to meet our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. That recalls the experience of God's people in the wilderness. They were traveling through desert. Uh, they didn't have crops. They needed to be fed. They needed to be sustained. And the Father gave them manna, which they gathered every morning, which sustained them for that day's journey. That's the heart of this prayer. Lord, give us what we need for this day's journey. For this day's journey, whether it's physical, financial, social, whether it's emotional, relational, whether it's in terms of your business, whatever it is, we are to ask for what will sustain us on this day's journey. And the end of the passage reminds us, if we ask for an egg, he's not gonna give us a scorpion. As Jesus says, how much more, if we know as, as parents ourselves, we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our perfect Father in heaven know to give good gifts to us? In fact, to give the very best gift, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Third thing that we take from this passage about prayer. We start with the intimacy, that sense of intimacy and reverence. Then we have the sense of asking for what we need. And the third thing is asking for what the Father wants. What the Father wants from us, what the Father wants in the world around us. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Thy kingdom come is a prayer season that runs every year these days from Ascension Day through to Pentecost. And we're praying that prayer for the good of our nation, the good of our communities and the good of our church. There are all kinds of resources that will be available over the coming days. Please use them. Please join in that wave of prayer for our nation and for God's church in this nation. It's really, really exciting endeavour that we're all engaged in. And it comes back to this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. You might be thinking, why do we need to ask for God's kingdom to come? Why can't God not just bring his kingdom and impose it upon us? The question is of free will and the question is of dominion. Uh, God respects the free will that he has given to us. 
He will never force us. He will woo us. He will conjole us. He will try and persuade us, but he will never force us. That's one of the reasons why we have to pray for his kingdom, his kingly reign to be expressed in our lives. The other reason is one of dominion. God has ordered his creation, he's created rulers and authorities like government and law and things like that. He respects those. Humanity was given dominion over the earth when we were created in the image of God. We lost it, of course, but that dominion, that sense of a right to rule has still uh, been given to humanity. So what we're doing is we're asking God to come and do what he wants to do in our lives and in the community, the world and the church around us. He waits to be asked. He's, he's, we are inviting him to come. We are inviting his heavenly invasion to come and bombard us with grace and love and peace and delight in his presence. We're asking it like a special forces soldier calls down an assault. But this is a heavenly assault of grace and blessing and delight. So Jesus has taught us what to pray. He also teaches us how to pray. In verses 9 and 10, he basically tells us to pester the Father, to ask, to seek, to knock. The tense there is the present continuous. It means ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. Reminds us that things don't just happen in a moment. Particularly that sense of seeking. There's a journey, there's a pilgrimage involved, that sense of knocking. There is a knocking until something opens before us might be a new area of ministry, it might be using a new spiritual gift, whatever it is. We knock and we keep on knocking until something opens before us. That's the excitement. That's the calling that we have to persist in prayer, to pester in prayer, to keep on going until we see the Lord's answer come. So what does all this mean for us today? First thing, I think, it is be real in prayer. There is no point being anything other than utterly honest in prayer. We know that the Lord knows our hearts better than we know our own. We're told in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? Well, only the Lord. So be utterly real in prayer. Bring the reality of our lives to him. There'll be triumphs, there'll be lots of wonderful things, but there'll also be lots of stuff that's a bit broken, that needs his loving care. So be real in prayer. That's the first thing. Be real. The second thing is to be confident. Be confident that the Father loves you and wants the best for you. Be confident that he longs to see his kingly reign expressed in your life and through you. Be confident that he will feed you even in a desert place like he fed his children as they were walking through the wilderness. Be confident that the Father is for you, not against you. So we've got to be real. We've got to be confident. And finally, we have got to be bold. We've got to be bold. It's asking, seeking, knocking. Particularly that sense of knocking, that sense that things are going to be opened to us, that we are going to step into new spheres of activity as people, new spheres of activity as a church. We're going to see more of God's kingly reign expressed in us and through us. That's the excitement of this prayer. That's the excitement at the very heart of the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray was, 
your kingdom come, your will be done. That's not a sense of resignation of just let it roll over me, your kingdom come, whatever, Lord. It is, Lord, I know that you want this. I know that you want to see righteousness. I know that you want to see peace. I know that you want to see your presence. I know that you want to see love for God and love for neighbour expressed in our church and our lives and in our community. That's what I'm longing to see. So that's what I'm reaching out for. That's what I'm reaching out for. I'm reaching out to see the risen Lord Jesus' ministry continue in me, in you, in our church, through the church and the nation. That's what we're reaching out for. That's the excitement of this prayer. It's not a passive whatever, Lord. It's an active grasping onto all that the Father has for us and to grasp onto it and keep on grasping onto it, keep on seeking it, keep on knocking until we see those breakthroughs, those kingdom breakthroughs that are in God's heart for us, that are in God's purpose for us, they are in the scriptures for us. We need to stand on what the Word says and pray for for it to come to be. So let us ask, let us seek, let us knock, let us be bold in asking and keep on doing it, keep on seeking, keep on opening and know, know that what we're asking for is what the Lord longs to bring. So let's not be deterred. Let's be real. Our lives are not perfect. Let's be confident. Our Father is and He is close. And let's be bold. Let's be bold in asking for the Kingdom to come, even in such a time as this. Amen. Mm -hmm.